Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for being here as we dive into the next part of the series we're doing called Two Rooms. Um, and I, man, this stuff that we're talking about, I think is incredibly important. Um, if you missed any parts of it, I'd love for you to go check it out. Uh, and the reason for that is because what we're talking about, if we take the time to wrestle the stuff to the ground, um, if we take the time to, to hear it and allow it to challenge our view of how we see faith, understand faith, I really believe these things have the potential to allow us to see faith differently, to experience faith differently, and perhaps if you're a Christian, uh, to portray faith differently. We've been talking about these two rooms that Christianity is portrayed in or experienced in. It's kind of um, inspired by a book that uh, I would highly recommend you read if you want to dive deeper into the stuff. The book's called The Cure. It's by John Lynch, Bruce McNichol, and Bill Thrall. And if you want to dive deeper into this, maybe you've got it already. Um, but if you want to dive deeper, read the book. And in this book, they describe these two rooms so beautifully. The first room is, is kind of known as the room of good intentions. And in this room of good intentions, if, if that's the, the flavor of Christianity that you've bumped into, if you're not a Christian and that's the flavor of Christianity you've been presented with, or if you are a Christian and that's the flavor of Christianity that you are experiencing, what that looks like is, is that we have to work really hard in that room to earn God's favor and love. You have to work really hard. And, and there's so many times Christianity is presented this way that you better work really hard. You better work really hard to try to fix your mess, to try to fix your mistakes so that God can be pleased with you. And if you don't, then you know, it's, it's just not gonna work. That's the room of good intentions. It's defined by judgment and by striving. And Christianity is so often experienced this way or portrayed this way. But you know what's interesting? That's not at all what Jesus said. <laughs> and like he's the beginning of Christianity, like Jesus Christ, Christianity. Like that's where it came from. And he didn't present Christianity like that. What he did is he invited us into the other room. And the other room is known as the room of grace. That's these two rooms. And in the room of grace... Our lives are defined by, and we live our lives by His grace, trusting that what Jesus did actually worked. And that's kind of what I want to explore today, that He actually has forgiven us, that He actually loves you, and, and, and that He actually likes you. That's the room of grace compared to this room of good intentions. What I want to do today is I want to take some time to look at what His grace actually does and what His grace has actually done. I want to take a deep dive and look at a bunch of different scriptures as to how Christianity teaches and what it teaches, why the room of grace is possible, why it's possible to live faith in this room of grace and what grace has actually done. I'm gonna look at incredible teachings and ideas that Christianity says are true for anyone who trusts Christ. Anyone who believes what Jesus did is true. Anyone who believes that, that Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm telling you, if you're not a Christian, if these things are true, if the things we're going to look at today are true, they may be the most attractive things about Christianity because it, it makes faith, makes Christianity so different from any sort of religious experience we may have had. It makes God real. 
like, like scripture says he is, like Christianity presents him as, not just some distant or detached deity that we're supposed to live up to certain rules to try and please and earn his favor. If this stuff is true, it makes it so real. So I wanna dive as deep as I can into this idea, these ideas that Christianity says, this is what grace does and this is why you can live your faith in the room of grace, at rest, trusting that what Jesus did is actually true and not always worrying, am I pleasing God? Am I doing it right? Am I, is this okay? Am I okay? We can live and rest in the room of grace. Okay, so that's where we're going. To get us on the same page, I wanna remind you of what we said over the last couple of weeks because um, in the last couple of weeks, we, we emphasized and talked about the reality that every one of us as human beings, we are born um, with, with this broken human nature. We're born with an imperfect human nature. And I don't think many people argue with that, whether you're a Christian or not. Most people agree, you know what? That, that statement, I'm only human, I'm not perfect. Most of us agree. Most of us agree that we don't live up to our own standards, let alone God's. Like, he's God, he's perfect. I don't live up to my own standards, let alone his. Most of us agree with that. And the way that Christianity describes this, we looked at this two weeks ago in the message, Misunderstanding Sin, is that we are all born, we all have this sin disease, there's the sin disease that every human being is born with. And again, if that's weird to you, please go listen to that message, Misunderstanding Sin, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and the way we described it, and this is the best illustration that I can come up with. Um, I think it's fascinating, and I think it talks about so many details of this. The way we describe the sin disease, this reality inside of us, is kind of like type 1 diabetes. Now, I don't know if you know what type 1 diabetes is, but the pancreas just doesn't produce insulin. It just can't. It just doesn't. And so the body of a person who has type 1 diabetes, he, they can't produce what they need to fix the problem. And the only solution for a type 1 diabetic is to actually get insulin from outside of their body and injected into their body, and that's the cure. That's the only way that they can live. They need help from outside of themselves. They need to take the insulin, just to clarify because I'm going to explain how Christianity looks like this. They need to take the insulin from outside of themselves because their body can't fix the problem. They have this disease. And only taking something from outside of them and injecting it into their body will make their cells function and make their cells actually able to absorb the blood sugar and transform it into energy so that they can live to their full potential. I think it's such a great illustration of Christianity because it doesn't only describe the sin disease, it actually describes the cure that Jesus made possible. Let me, let me try and explain this. Christianity teaches that in and of ourselves, as human beings, we can't fix our sin disease. Nothing we do. We can try to be good. We can try and learn all the scriptures. We can try and do everything possible to try and please God. Christianity teaches nothing we do can fix the sin disease that we have and that we're born with. No matter what we do. And just like type 1 diabetes, that sin disease leads to complications. It leads to pain. It leads to suffering. It leads to eventually death. That's what Christianity teaches about the sin disease that we're all born with. But that's why Jesus came, to, to come and save us from that mess and to come and be the Savior and the doctor, but not only the doctor, not only the Savior, he actually came to be the cure, the actual cure. And the way that he did that, he, the Son of God, this is what Christianity teaches, the Son of God came to earth 
And he, on the cross, he took on that sin disease that every human has, and he bore the weight of it, the pain of it. He absorbed the consequences and the death of that sin disease. And then Christianity teaches that he rose again. That's what it says. And, and, and when he rose again, he actually offers us his righteousness that can overcome our sin disease, kind of like insulin. He offers us himself and his righteousness so that, and, and, and this is the only requirement that he asks of us, just like type 1 diabetic, who places, like, like a person with diabetes, who places his faith in the insulin from outside of his body, I can't fix it, but if I accept that this can, and I allow it to enter into me, in my body, it can change me, save me. That's what Christianity says. He, the only thing that Jesus requires of us is that we accept that he is who he says he is, the cure, that we accept his death and resurrection for us on our behalf and accept his righteousness to overcome our sin disease. And here's the thing. When we do that, when we accept that, then <laughs> true Christianity explodes into reality in our lives. Some amazing things are made available. Some amazing things happen when we place our faith, our trust in what Jesus has done and the cure is made possible. The most beautiful description of what I've just said is found in Ephesians chapter two. And I'm gonna read just a few verses out of that. It's a beautiful, Ephesians chapter two, verse one to 10, describes this so well. I'm just gonna read like three or four of those verses. So let's look at Ephesians chapter two, verse one. It says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were born with the sin disease that leads to complication, suffering, pain, death. You were born with that as you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Jump to verse four. It says this, but because of his great love for us, not because you changed not because you did it better, not because you worked really hard, not because you learned a bunch of scriptures, not because you stopped sinning because when you're born with a sin disease, you can't fix that. A, a diabetic can't fix his pancreas. It doesn't work because of his great love, not because of anything we did. It was his initiative. God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. He brought the cure. Jump to verse eight. Verse eight sort of summarizes it. For it is by grace you have been saved. And here's the only requirement, the only ask, through faith. Do I trust that he is the cure? Do I trust that he did what he did? Do I trust that if I accept his gift of righteousness, all of this happens? That's the only requirement. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Just to emphasize again, there is nothing you can do. This is what Christianity says. It is a gift, wow, of God. Not by works, again, like he says it again, not by works so that no one can boast. If a Christian boasts about how awesome they are and holy they are, they haven't read this verse properly. <laughs> it is not by anything we do. Christianity teaches that God did what we can't do. And when we trust that, if we place our faith in Jesus and what he did, then true Christianity explodes into reality in our lives. When someone trusts Christ, when someone trusts Christ, 
this, this Christianity just explodes into reality in our lives. What, what do I mean when I say that it explodes into reality in our lives? Well, basically, there are several things that the Scripture, that Christianity teaches happen when we trust Him. And I want to look at a few of them. I'm going to kind of get a practical in a bit and show you the specifics, but I just want to explain what happens that Christianity teaches. And if this is true, man, it changes everything. So the first thing that I think I want to talk about that happens when we trust Jesus, it's crazy. It teaches that Christ actually enters our life. Now, 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 we just say that, and we're like, okay, cool, that's, that's nice. Think about that. Christ enters our lives. That God somehow, the God of the universe, the God who created all of this, enters into your life when you trust him, when you place your faith in him. Not because you stopped sinning or did everything right, because you couldn't do that, remember? Not because of that, but because we admitted we can't fix it and we trusted Christ. Somehow, Christianity teaches that God enters our life. He fuses himself. Like, like, like there's part of me that just wants to stop and not say any more and just go, think about that. God fuses himself with you when you trust him. This is all over scripture. Let me, let me show. Colossians 1 verse 27 says this. And again, I'm just taking portions of this because we don't have time to look at all the details, but it says this in verse 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, Gentiles are people who are not Jewish, among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's the hope that we have? It is the fact that Christ has entered into our lives, kind of like the insulin. It comes in from outside, enters into our lives. That changes everything. The mystery of Christianity is that Christ is in you. That's why I love that insulin illustration, that diabetic illustration, because there's nothing I can do to save me, to change me. But when I trust him, he actually enters into my life. Look at this verse in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. This is so beautiful. It says, I, God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. You can't. We're all born with the sin disease. I will do that. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. What happens when we place our faith in Christ? When we trust Jesus, he says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I, here it is, I will put my spirit in in you. Again, what if that's true? <laughs> Christians, sometimes we believe in God and we go to church. This is what it says Christianity is. What if this is true? I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I will do something in you that makes you want to live the life that I've called you to. This is huge. He's saying he'll cleanse us from impurities, he'll give us a new heart, and he'll put his spirit in us. That's different Christianity, right? I mean, that's different from just going to church and trying to please God, that if, if this is true, doesn't that change things? And here's what Christianity teaches. When 
His Spirit, when He enters into our lives, this is what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. This is so beautiful. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone who places their faith in Christ, who trusts Christ, it says this, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Do we buy that? Because this is what it teaches. Do we believe that? That, that I'm a new creation, that if Christ is in you, and if, if you have trusted Christ, that you're a new creation. This is why it's possible to live in the room of grace. When we don't believe this, then we think, oh my gosh, I better do, I better do, I better please, I better try and work really hard to, to, to make sure that I've fixed everything. No, he's going, you can't. But if you trust me, I can. And I put my spirit, my life, my hope, my myself in you, and he says, when that happens, you're a new creation. That, and I don't know how to explain this fully, but basically he's saying that there is legitimately something different on the inside of someone who has trusted Christ. Legitimately, something different. But, what, but why? why? Why is that different? What is different? What happens? Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, I'm gonna read a bunch of scripture today to kind of show you how this is all over the place. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, experienced this, and he says this in 2 Peter, a second letter that he wrote, chapter one, verse three, he says this. And this is crazy. His words are crazy. If this is true, this is crazy. <laughs> His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. He has given it to us. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, not by your goodness, not by my goodness. He's given this to us by his goodness. Verse four, through these he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them, and listen to these words, this is crazy if you actually realize what it's saying, through them you may participate in the divine nature. Wait, what? That God has put his divine nature in us when we trust him? What if that's true? What if we trusted that? What if we rested in that? What if we lived based on that? And then he says, so that you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That, that, that if that's true, he gives us the ability to escape the, the repercussions of the sin disease. It's incredible. And I'm gonna say this a bunch of times, what if that's true? Doesn't that change Christianity? Doesn't that make it hard to, to go, well, I better do it right otherwise? And he's going, no, 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 if you've trusted me, I've actually put myself in you. I'm with you, there, even on your worst day, I'm with you. It's all over the place, listen to this. Colossians 1 verse 21 says this, once, you were alienated from God, separated from him, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, referring to that sin disease, that we were separated from God, didn't have the help, like a diabetic who hasn't admitted there's diabetes and hasn't found the cure and insulin, so separated from the insulin, there's no help. Once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, that sin disease, but now, he has reconciled you, he's brought you together, that God is with you by Christ's physical body through death. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, he has reconciled us to present you, and listen to this, this is crazy. If that's true, he presents you, a person who had a sin disease, me, a person who struggles with a sin disease, to present us holy in his sight. 
and without blemish and free from accusation. That's, he does something that he makes me holy. And as God looks at us, he goes, there's no blemishes, nothing. Without accusation. <laughs> what if that's true? How? Verse 23, if you continue in the faith. Not if you do everything right. Not if you never mess up again. Just better not mess up again. Okay, cool, I'll forgive you and then you better not mess up. No, it doesn't say that. It says, if you trust him. <laughs> and established and firm and do not move from the hope, not in your own ability, the hope held out in the gospel. That's what Christianity teaches. And it's not based on how strong we tried or how much we changed or if we stopped sinning because remember, we can't by ourselves. We can't. We will always carry the sin disease with us. But he's going, I know that. That's why I'm not asking you to fix your diabetes. I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm asking you to trust me and I will be your cure, present you holy without blemish because of what he has done in us. It's huge. That's what I mean when I say that when we trust him, Christianity explodes into reality in our lives, that, that this is what it means. Christ actually enters us. He puts his spirit in us. He makes us new. He gives us a new heart. He cleanses us. And in some very real way, we're a new creation. In some very real way, we have, we partake in his divine nature. <laughs> what? What if that's true? Yes, we still carry the sin disease with us until the day we die, but what if that's real in us as well? That's what he's promised. That's what Christianity says, but there's more. Christianity teaches that there's several things that actually happen in us and to us in relation to him, in relation to God, when he enters our lives, when we place our trust and faith in him. Him. In other words, when we become a Christian, some of these things, these things happen. And the reason I want to point this out is because I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, I want to challenge you and ask you, do you believe this stuff? Do you live as if this is true? Because so often we find ourselves in the room of good intentions going, oh, but do we live as if this is true? Do we believe that what he's done? Yes, we say, I believe in God. Which God? <laughs> I believe in God. Well, this is the God that Christianity presents, and this is what he says he does. And when we believe this, it's hard to stay in the room of good intentions. It's hard to keep thinking, oh my gosh, I better earn his favor. I better do all this stuff, otherwise I'm not gonna please God. No, no, no. If this stuff is true, let me put it this way. You please God, not because you've done anything, but because of what he's done, because you've trusted him. When you trust him, you please him. It's huge. We can't do that. And, and you can't keep trying to fix your own sin in order to try and be good enough. You can't live there when you believe this stuff. So if you're, if you're a Christian, the reason I wanna look at these things now is I wanna ask, do we buy this? Do we believe this? Because this is what real Christianity is. And if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here because I wanna show you the beauty and the strength of what true Christianity offers, that if you place your faith in Christ, this becomes true of you. As we read these things, just, just look how many times it says in Christ or in him or Christ in you. Look how many times because that's the crux. When we trust him, he enters and because he's there, all of this 
happens. So, so, so what happens when we trust him? What happens when we believe him? Number one, we're forgiven. When he enters our lives, you are forgiven. All of your sin. What if I sin again? Forgiven. Wait, what? That's what he did. That's what he says. You are forgiven. Look at this, Acts 10, verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him, there's that in him, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. But what if I don't repent properly? What if I don't, what if I don't fix it? What, does it say anything about fixing it in there? It says everyone who believes in him, when you trust him, receives forgiveness of sins through what? Through, through what I did, through how I proved? No, no, through his name. 1 John 2 verse 12 says this, I'm writing to you, dear children, a letter from John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You're forgiven. What happens when you trust him? You're forgiven. It's beautiful. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him, there it is again, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Not because we did anything, but in him, because of what he's done, you're forgiven. What, what if we could live there? Every day, on our worst day, when we make that mistake, when the sin disease rises up and it kind of slaps us beside the head and we make another mistake, what if we believed that when I trust him, I'm forgiven? That's what he offers. Not only that, the next thing is we're justified. Now, that's a technical Bible theology term. Um, it's also a legal term, I guess, but, but it's a theology term that basically means this. Justified means I am made just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified just as if I'd never sinned. And that's how well this cure works, that when God looks at me, I am made just as if I'd never sinned. Not just the way he looks at me, but he actually puts that in me. He gives me his righteousness. Romans 3 verse 22 says this, uh, this righteousness is given. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is again, through faith, not by what I did, to all who believe. If you believe, this righteousness is given by faith through Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how much of it you've done, and what you've not done. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's that sin disease. All of us. And all are justified. There's that word, made just as if I'd never sinned. What if we could live our lives? Man, gosh, this could be so cool. What if we could live our lives believing that our lives, we can live just as if I'd never sinned? Imagine the freedom. Imagine the lack of shame. Imagine the joy. Imagine the peace, because so many times we're so on ourselves. Well, this is who I am. No, he's made us. We are all justified Freely, but I didn't do enough. That's what free means. <laughs> it's free by his grace, not by your effort, not by your good intentions, not by any of that, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, just as if I'd never sinned. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 adds some, some thoughts to this. God made, and this is huge, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, he had no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He took our sin disease so that in him, there it is again, if I'm in him, trust him, we might not just you know, 
have, we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> what if this is true? What if we could live our lives going, I am the righteousness, not just righteousness, I am the righteousness of God. Not because anything I've done and my righteous deeds, but because he injected it into me and cured me. Wow. He took that sin disease so that we could become, not, not pretend to be, not hope to be, not strive to get there one day, but become in him the righteousness of God. That's what Christianity says happens when we trust him. Not when we do it right, not when we strive right, but when we trust him. If I trust him, man, not only is Christ in you, that's huge. Not only are you forgiven, that's huge. But we are made righteous. And not just any righteous, but the righteousness of God if we've placed our faith in him. But there's more. Not only are you forgiven, not only are you justified, but you're adopted into God's family. Galatians 4 verse 4 says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. He uses sonship over there because he's speaking in a Roman world, and in a Roman world, a son was the heir and had the right to all, everything that the father had. And so he speaks to, he says later, there's no difference between man and woman, there's no difference between male and female. So he says to all of us, we receive that, that heirness, that, 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 that sonship. Because as his sons, he says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. There it is again, Christ's spirit in our hearts, the spirit of his son in our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba was a, 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 just a term of endearment that a child would say to a father that he loved and was close to. That's what happens. His spirit in our lives, in our hearts, so we can cry, Abba, Father. Verse seven, so you're no longer a slave, but God's child. What if we lived like that? And since you're his child, God made you also his heir. In Christ, when you trust, if you've trusted, we can live as God's child. There is a security that comes with that. What if we lived that? But it's not only adopted. John made it even more emphatic in John chapter one, verse 12, he said this. Yet to all who receive him, that, what do you need to do? Just receive him. Like a diabetic goes, can I have some of the insulin? I trust that the insulin can save me. I receive it. To all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, trusted him. That's the main thing. Do I trust him? He gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. That I don't know how to explain this, but something, when we trust him, something actually happens on the inside of us where we are born different, born new, born again. And it's not me trying to do everything so that I can please him. It's not any of that, but I am born as his child into his family. That's what it says. Finally, the last one I want to focus on is not only are we uh, forgiven, not only are we justified, not only are we adopted and, and become born as a child of God, but we are sanctified as well. 
Sanctified is, is another technical term. Sometimes Christians believe that, that God forgives you when you become a Christian, but then you better go and make yourself better. You better prove that you're a Christian. You better work on yourself. That's not at all what this is. Uh, uh, that doesn't fit with what Christianity teaches. Being sanctified means that we are on a journey of becoming more like Christ externally, but the reality is that internally we are like Christ. If he is fused with us, if he is in us, he has made us holy, blameless, above accusation. He has put his spirit in us. We are like Christ, and sanctification is how do we allow that inside of us to work its way out into our lives. We're already changed on the inside. And he's just going, hey, 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 I know everything outside doesn't change immediately. I know that. But if he's in you and he's working in you, doesn't, doesn't that begin to impact who we are on the outside as well? Philippians 2 verse 12 says this, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation. It's in there. Now allow it to work out with awe and reverence for, and he explains this, the one bringing forth in you the desire and the effort for the sake of his pleasure is God. In other words, he's saying God is working in you both to desire, to want to be what he's made you, to live this life, and also the effort, the ability to do it as well. He's doing that in you. Remember 2 Peter 1 verse 3, we looked at it earlier, says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So that's what Christianity teaches, happens when we trust him. That's what it says, that when we place our faith in Christ, Christ actually comes into me. If we could just take time and just think about that, it would change everything. I am justified, made just as if I'd never sinned, not based on anything I did or didn't do before I trusted him or after I trusted him. He's in me. I'm 100% forgiven. I'm justified. I'm adopted. I am born again as a child of God. I'm sanctified, made righteous, and he is working in me to make me and make my life look more like Jesus, that's what Christianity says he is doing, and it's his work. It's his work, not mine. I can't save myself from a broken pancreas that doesn't produce insulin. I can't. Just like I can't save myself from my sin disease. Not before, not now, not tomorrow, I can't. But him in me, when I've trusted, this is the cure. Him in me can change everything, not because I did enough or stopped doing enough, but because he did what he did, and when I trust him, he can do all of that stuff in me, because he is in me. It changes everything. I wanna read a portion out of the book that I've mentioned several times, The Cure, because it describes this so well. There's a conversation that happens between someone who, who has trusted Christ and another person giving him advice on this. And this is what he said as he's, as he's wrestling with us and, and confused with this. He says this, this is all so hard to wrap my head around, I said. This is conversation. Everything I've ever been taught, everything I've ever experienced tells me that you get what you put in. So when I fail, it seems only right I should get less of God which makes me want to be better. I wanna put more in, so I'll get more out. Then I get down on myself when I, when I take him for granted or when I don't do right or when I care about something more than him. 
that seems like what he wants. If I were God, that's, that's what I would want from people, to, to put more in. This friend of his laughed. That seems pretty self-righteous, doesn't it? You're saying it's not? Then he explains this, and it's so beautiful. Let me say it again. Listen to these words. You have as much God as you're gonna get. You have as much God as you're gonna get. He lives in you. You are in him. How much closer do you want than that? He's in you. You're in him. Every moment of every day fused with you, there he is. He never moves. He never covers his ears when you sin. He never puts up a newspaper, never turns his back. He's not over on the other side of your sin, waiting for you to get it together so that you can finally be close. It's not how it works. It's incredible, don't you think? That's why they call it good news. And the guy asks this, then why doesn't it feel like that sometimes? I live with me. It feels like I'm playing a game of denial to believe he's not disappointed with me. I know he loves me, but where's the accountability to live this life for him? My new friend looked like he was trying to find another way of explaining what I was missing. After a moment, he turned back and he said this. The goal is not to change me. I am already changed. The goal is to mature. When I depend on the new creature I've been made into through the work of Jesus at the cross, I begin to live healthier, more free from sin, more free to love. I learn to believe all his power, love, truth, and goodness already exists in me right now, even on my worst day. <laughs> What if that's true? Doesn't that change Christianity? It changes the whole picture. And if you're a Christian, if, this, if you're not a Christian, if this is true, man, this is one of the most attractive things about Christianity, that you can't earn your way in, but he's fighting his way in. And if you just trust him, this becomes true when we place our faith in him. He asks a question, but, but, but if people believe this, won't they take advantage of God? That I can just, what, where's the account? Well, no, it's not about trying to change. He's changed you. What if we live that? If people believe that, won't they take advantage of God? Yeah, I imagine they would, he says. Except they no longer want to. <laughs> they are new creations. God lives in them to encourage, correct, and even rebuke. The reason people rebel is not because they trusted grace or chose to live out their new identity. It's the very opposite. It's moralism. The law of religious practice and thought that keeps them trying to get away with something. If God is truly in us when we trust him, it changes everything. There's one more statement I want to read that summarizes this idea. It says this, nothing you believe and depend on is more magnificently freeing than this single truth. You are no longer who you were, even on your worst day. Trusting and leaning upon Christ in you is the source of every shred of strength, joy, healing, and peace. Let me ask it again. What if this is true? What if this is what Christianity is? Wouldn't it change our experience? Wouldn't it change how we portray things? Wouldn't it change how we live? 
So let me ask you bluntly and clearly, this is what I'd love for us to wrestle with. What if you believed that Christ was really in you? Every day, on your worst day, when you mess up, when you have those thoughts, when you do that dumb thing again, what if you believed that he really was there? What if you believed that you really are forgiven on your worst day? What if you believe that you really are justified, made just as if you'd never sinned? What if you really believed that? What if you really believed that you were adopted, that you were born as a child of God? What if you really believed that? And what if you really believed that he has sanctified you, he has changed you on the inside, and that's growing its way out into your life? What if you really believed that, even on your worst day? <laughs> Wouldn't that change things? I'm so grateful because I know how fickle I am and I'm so grateful that it's not based on my fickleness. What if we really believed that? It would change our experience of Christianity. While we still carry our sin disease with us, his divine nature, he himself, the cure, is in us. I think <laughs> if we could live that, I think everything would change in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that Christianity is not just something that calls me to do stuff, be stuff, grow, change, look better, be better. But Christianity says I can't. But if I trust the cure, if I trust you, if I trust what Jesus has done, <laughs> it changes everything. It brings in your life, who you are into me. It forgives, justifies, makes me your child and gives me both the will and the desire and the ability to live the life you've called me to do. Thank you for what you've done. Help us trust you. Truly trust you. Our, our trust so often comes back to ourselves and our ability. Help us trust you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.